0: This is it, my friends. The final episode of Bullet Catcher on Epic, Realm's action-adventure channel. It's been quite the journey getting here, from Emma scrubbing dishes to her reuniting with her brother and finding the strength to take a stand against him. Now we're here to see how it all ends. Well, how this part of the story ends. There are two more seasons waiting for you, after all. You know I don't want to hold you back from the story, but first, a word from our
1: sponsors. and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times best-selling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Are you ready? Let's do it. I'm your host, Faith McQuinn, and this is Bullet Catcher, Episode 14.
2: 1. I sleep, and in my dreams, I am a grain of sand. In the heat of day, I am blasted by the sun and wind. In the dead of night, I am encased in an orb of frost. All around me are other grains of sand. I am pressed up against them, swirling on the wind. But I'm alone, carried on the wind over dunes and off the edges of plateaus. Below, I recognize Lobo's mountain. I watch our horses galloping along the winding path between the dunes like golden sails. As a speck of sand, I pass through the bustling streets of Las Pistolas. The people taking cover as the storm I ride gathers strength. I pass over the homestead of my youth, still on fire after all these years. I watch as a hooded old man kicks in the blackened door and rushes in. In the wind, I scream out and am blown farther into the desert I pass the iron gates of the orphanage, now tarnished and bent. The windows of the dormitory and church and schoolhouse are empty, and the roofs caved in. I come to the edge of sand, my home for so many years, and then the wind dies down and the sun comes out and bakes the sand to glass, encasing the town in a perfect, lonely sphere. I melt and come apart, until there is no empty space between the desert and myself. Until there is no difference between where I had been, and where I am going. I drift back into consciousness on the wind, carrying me out of the desert, back into my body. My head is on fire. The pain transcends pain. She's awake. Someone says. And another voice answers, thank goodness for that. I open my eyes. I'm in a bed. The ceiling spins and I shut my eyes quickly. The door opens and footsteps traips across the creaky floorboards. Good morning, Cub. I open my eyes. Lobo sits beside my bed, his scarred lips forming a small smile. I was having a nightmare. It's over now. And then it all comes back to me. Them cutting off my finger, the shootout in the pump station, and heart rate. I'm sorry, cub. I try to lift myself out of bed, But my strength gives way. Not yet. You lost a lot of blood. Where are we? Cass's hideout. It's been five days. We weren't sure if you were going to make it. What now? Now you rest. That's all you have to worry about. But what about the gunslingers? What about Nico and Cloak? They'll be looking for us, to be sure. For now... Let them look. Will they find us? Eventually. Nico knows of this place. He's been here. But it might take him some time to suss out that it's here where we've chosen to hide. And he'll have his hands full for a little while. Because of the water. Not just that, he says. There's something you should understand. Nico is a powerful man in Las Pistolas, but he's not powerful everywhere. What do you mean? I don't know what kind of impression he gave you, but he's not in charge of the gunslingers. Sure, he's the boss down here, but he answers to gunslingers in the Northland, across the border. They're going to want answers as to why the water has stopped flowing. They're going to want to know how one young woman and a few old-timers managed to gum up the work so bad. And they're going to want to know where his loyalty lies, with you or them. There's more dissent among the gunslingers than you might think. Hard to wrangle people who are used to living on their lonesome, who only banded together anyway to kill the likes of Cass and me. Now that we're all but gone, what now? Why stay together? Look at Hartwright. (laughs) Guess she showed him. So, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that between you and Cloak and the gunslingers, if it comes down to choosing sides, I'm not so sure Nico picks them over you. And he means, Cass says from the doorway that the other night, we all made a much more powerful enemy than Nico. They leave so I can rest. All I want to do is sleep, but I can't stop thinking about Heartright. I was so young when I lost my parents, too young to remember much of anything beyond a few scattered moments. What I've learned from losing Heartright, someone I didn't understand until it was too late, is that when it comes to those you love... Death and separation weigh heavier, hurt more, the older you are. When you're young, there's the feeling that whomever you've lost could someday return, because lost implies that whoever's gone can be found. But when you're older, death means forever. When I wake next, it's daylight, but I'm not sure if I've been asleep hours or days. The strength in my arms and legs tells me the latter. I ease out of bed and dress. My hand is wrapped in new bandages, and there's only a small spot of red where my finger used to be. I find Lobo and Cass outside. Cass is chopping wood and Lobo is stacking it. When he hears the door swing shut, he turns and gives me a small smile. You finished grieving, he says dropping a load of wood onto the stack. I have, I say. Good. Grief is important, but it has its place. For now, push it down. In the coming days, it will not help us. You mean, I did a little scouting yesterday. Cass says, they're coming this way. Nico and Cloak. And they're bringing a posse with them. Her leg is wrapped in a bandage where she was shot, but it doesn't seem to bother her too bad. What do we do? Cass glances at Lobo and says, We can run or we can fight. He looks my way and says, I don't know about you, cub, but I'm sick of running. Cass reckons we have a day before they arrive, and then they'll have to wait for the sandstorm to die down. It'll be dark. We'll be outnumbered. And I'm afraid of seeing Nico again. I'm afraid that if it comes down to it, I won't be able to pull the trigger. And he will. Lobo and I sit on the ground among the trees. Birds sing and flutter, unseen through the branches. Your thoughts are scattered, he says. How could you tell? Because I know you, cub. You are always looking over your shoulder to the past. And that's good. It is good to reflect, to examine one's failings and fears. But the past is only a lesson. The present is where we apply those lessons. Evening is coming and the air is already growing cool. A shiver runs through me. I was thinking about seeing Nico again. About what you said before, about not knowing if he'd choose the gunslingers over me. And what do you suspect he'd do? I think he'd kill me. He nods. Did Cass tell you about this place? About what it is? Only that her son died here. Our son. Your son? Alejandro? His eyes go big at the sound of his name. That's right. Alejandro. He takes a moment to gather himself. In our lives, we are faced with a multitude of choices. Hundreds, thousands every day. Some important, most insignificant. But much of the time, we don't understand which is which until long after until we understand in full the consequences of our decisions. In this place, many years ago, I made a decision that cost my son his life. I fought when I should have run. Later, I lost Cass because I chose to run instead of fight. I don't understand. The consequences of my choices hurt the two people I loved most in this world. And it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that I did not make those decisions because of a lack of love for them, but for a lack of foresight. Cub, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but come what may, you should know that you are loved. I turn away so he doesn't see my tears, and I can't look him in the eye when I say, I love you too, Lobo. When I turn back to face him, he's smiling his not quite smile. I suppose Cass told you my real name. I nod. Good. I've been running from it for a long time. Like I said before, it's time for me to stop running. As we've talked, night has fallen. The air is icy cold. The birds have retreated to their nests and burrows, and the only sound is the wind howling over the oasis, stirring the desert sand. I'm scared, I tell him. That's good, he says. If you weren't, you wouldn't have anything to live for. When you're ready, you should get some sleep. The skies will clear before dawn, and we'll need our rest. Then he stands and heads back toward Cass's cabin. Behind where he was sitting is a tree with writing carved into it. But it's not a name like Alejandro's tree. It's a poem. Let there always be life here, where so many died. I run my fingers over the inscription... Then I click open the strap of my holster and draw the gun. I run my thumb over the worn metal, stained with my blood. And then I crouch and place it at the foot of the tree. The wind has died down, and the silver moon peeks through the cloud of sand overhead. Not long now.
0: This episode of Epic is brought to you by Wild Grain. I want you to take a moment and imagine the smell of fresh baked sourdough bread filling your house. Or maybe it's croissants, if that's more to your liking. Now, what if I told you that you could get this delicious experience without covering yourself in flour and without leaving your house? Well, you can, if you order from Wild Grain. What's Wild Grain? Well, it is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box. You get sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and pastries that go from your freezer to your oven and ready to serve in 25 minutes or less. I just got my first box and it had three different sourdough loaves, biscuits, croissants, and two different kinds of pasta. I made the orange cranberry biscuits right away. And I cannot tell you how wonderful my house smelled and they tasted even better. Scallops and wild grains fresh fettuccine is on the menu for this week and I plan to pair it with the olive oil ciabatta loaf. (sighs) Doesn't that sound so good? If you're a carb lover like me and you want good carbs, free of preservatives and artificial colors and flavors, then you'll wanna get a subscription right away and now you can fully customize your wild grain box so you can choose any combination of breads pastas and pastries you can even build a box of only breads only pastas or only pastries if you'd like plus for a limited time you can get 30 dollars off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com epic to start your subscription you heard me free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash epic. That's wildgrain.com slash E-P-I-C. Or you can use promo code EPIC at checkout. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut.
1: And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream.
0: So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Two. Lobo shakes me awake far too soon. Cass stands out in the yard, her shape outlined silver by the light of the moon. We march to the edge of the woods and hike up to the lip of the dune. At the top, we pass around the binoculars. The gunslingers have made camp not so far away. A low fire still burns and a tent stands in the easy wind, but there's not a soul to be seen. Cass scans the horizon and stops when she spots them. They've doubled around to the far side of the oasis in the hopes of flanking us. From this distance, it's impossible to make out Nico or Cloak, but there's about 20 of them followed by a horse pulling a small wagon behind it. What the hell do you think that is? Cass asks, handing the binoculars to Lobo. Whatever it is, he says, it ain't good. We slide back down the slope and quicken our pace on the way back to the cabin. Whichever direction they're coming from, it's there that they'll converge. The cabin is rigged with two kinds of Cass's homemade explosives— Some are small, like little fireworks. We'll set those off first to make the gunslingers think they're under fire. The second set of explosives is enough to blow up the cabin and anyone who might be inside. At the cabin, Lobo lifts me into the low branches of one of the trees, and I climb until I'm level with the roof. Cass and Lobo climb into their own trees, surrounding the cabin. Earlier in the day, they gathered rocks and lifted them into the branches surrounding the cabin. From this height... They should do as much damage as a bullet. The minutes pass and all is quiet. Then comes the sound of Lobo whistling a bird call, followed by Cass in response. A moment later, the gunslingers emerge from the darkness, 10 of them moving to surround the cabin. But where are the others? I don't see Nico or Cloak. When the gunslingers are in position, they draw their pistols. The near-silent dark is interrupted by the clicks of their hammers pulling back. The cast sets off the first explosive. The fireworks pop to life just like gunfire. The gunslingers scatter. Someone yells, They're shooting! The darkness erupts with muzzle flame as they pelt the empty cabin with bullets. That's when we begin to rain down the rocks. And the noise and chaos It takes the gunslingers a few moments to realize what's happening, and by the time they figure it out, we've picked off five or six of them. Then they open fire on the trees, shooting blindly into the shadows. But Cass and Mobo have already moved from their perches, leaping swiftly from tree to tree, where they've hidden more caches of rocks that they rain down relentlessly on the gunslingers below. One gunslinger finds Cass in the darkness, Aims, fires, and gets his own bullet between the eyes. The last gunslinger turns my way and fires wildly. I leap from my tree into the branches of another, scrambling to get out of the way. Lobo, hidden until now, stands on his perch, tracking the gunslinger. In the dreamy, silver light of the moon, he looks ten feet tall. He leaps, All I hear is the sound of the gunslinger's body collapsing beneath Lobo's weight, a strangled scream, the sound of a neck snapping, then silence. The gunslingers are strewn across the ground like tumbleweeds turned to shrapnel under wagon wheels. Lobo stands over the crumpled body of the last man, breathing steam. Cass leaps down from her perch. I half-jump, half-fall out of mine. You okay? He asks I'm okay I say I'm fine Quiet Cass hushes Raising her hand A moment passes And then in the next Comes the sound of dry brush Snapping underfoot We run full speed Through the woods Following Cass Toward where we heard the sounds She knows every fallen tree Every sapling Every dry patch of ground That could crackle underfoot We are silent She raises her hand and we stop on a dime. There's a faint creaking sound coming from somewhere in the trees ahead. A shape emerges from the shadows, flanked by more gunslingers. The mysterious object sits on a pair of metal wagon wheels that creak as they turn over rock and brush. It is vaguely the shape of a cannon, but with a hundred barrels instead of one. Straining my eyes in the darkness, I take a step out of cover. A twig snaps under my foot. Everything stops. The gunslingers, the creaking wheels. Load! One of them yells. Move! The bullet catcher yells. He pulls me back and the three of us are running as fast as we can, not caring how much noise we make. Behind us comes the ominous whirring of the barrels starting to spin. There's the cabin just ahead. We're nearly there. Suddenly, Cass grabs me from behind and pushes me into the loamy dirt. She hits the ground next, followed by Lobo, who covers me with his body. Bullets sing through the night, turning rock and wood to shrapnel. The trees around us sever at the middle and come crashing down, as though buzzsaw. When the gun stops, I try to lift my head, but the bullet catcher pushes me back down, flat against the ground, and growls into my ear. Wait. Reload! One of the gunslingers calls, and a moment later the gun starts up again. When it's all over, Lobo rolls off me. His skin tightens around his mouth and eyes as he pushes down pain. Lying on his side, he tears at the earth with his long, scarred fingers. The back of his coat is shredded and he's bleeding from countless bullet grazes that have torn through his clothes and ripped his skin like slash marks from a whip. His back is streaked with blood. I reach out to touch him, and he grabs me roughly by the wrist and holds it tightly. The look in his eyes is hurt and wild. The muscles in his cheek twitch as he grits through the pain. I'm fine, cub, he says, peeling the shredded clothes from his torso. We need to get to the cabin. We'll have cover and there are bandages inside, Cass says. Come on, I say, pulling the bullet catcher's arm over my shoulder. Cass supports him on the other side and we make a break for the clearing and the cabin. I don't hear the hammer click or the report of the gun. All those things I've been trained so well to notice and react to. The force of the shot knocks Lobo out of our arms. He lurches in the dirt, clutching his shoulder. Nico and Cloak stand at the edge of the clearing. Cloak's gun is in his hand, the barrel pouring smoke. They approach us slowly, Cloak never taking his gun off us. Nico's shooters stay holstered. Cloak wears his sharp smile, the one that makes me want to break all his teeth. Nico's expression is a shadow. He rests his hands on his guns and says I wonder, old man Do you remember the last thing you said to me When we first parted ways? Lobo spits a glob of blood at Nico's feet I said I was disappointed in you Cloak's smile widens like a slash across his face It's you who disappoints, bullet catcher the moon is a cold, silver lantern looming overhead, lighting up the meadow. Nico's eyes are bright and wet. He approaches us slowly and unbuttons the strap on his holster. Cloak waves off Cass and me with a flick of his shooter. Nico draws his gun and pushes the barrel into the wound in Lobo's shoulder. The bullet catcher grits his teeth to keep from howling. You took everything from me. Nico says, My parents, my childhood, and now you've tried to steal away my sister too, and you had the audacity to say you were disappointed in me. Nico, I start. What? He screeches. His eyes are big and angry and full of tears. The bullet catcher didn't steal me. You left me. And then you chased me away. I watched you commit murder. I hold up my hand to show him my missing finger. You stood by while Cloak did this to me. It wasn't the bullet catcher. It was you. The anger goes out of his eyes and he looks at me as if seeing me for the first time in a long time. Cass grabs for Nico's gun and they fall to the ground, struggling for the weapon. The gun goes skittering across the dirt. I don't think. I dive headlong for the weapon. Too late. Cloak sees me. He shoots. He's too slow. The gun is already in my hand. I roll, slapping the hammer. Cloak howls and his gun goes flying. Lobo gets to his feet and pulls Nico off Cass and decks him. Nico falls to the ground in a heap. I can hear the gunslingers closing in on the clearing, behind the veil of trees. Cloak is gathering himself in the dirt, squeezing off the blood running from his forearm. Lobo pulls Cass up. We need to get to cover! And then we're darting the last few yards to the cabin. Cass throws herself against the door, swinging it open, and we pile in. Lobo kicks the door closed. In the dark of the cabin, I feel safe, but it's just a mirage. It's all still waiting for us, right outside. Lobo lies on his stomach in the middle of the floor, Struggling to catch his breath, Cass and I push the bed and all the other sticks of furniture against the door. What now? I ask. Nico's gun is still in my hand, and I squeeze the grip, trying to find my courage. But it doesn't come. We could blow the place, Cass says, and I can tell she's only half kidding. We ain't beaten yet, Lobo growls, We can at least hold them off long enough for Emma to make a break for it. My mind flashes back to Hartwright, sacrificing herself for my sake. The sound of gunshots receding as the bullet catcher and I rode away. You know I'm not running. Cass has found the first aid kit. Lobo doesn't flinch as we wrap his torso in the white bandages that darken with blood as soon as they meet his skin. Cass's hands stop. What's the matter? I ask, looking up at her. She looks Lobo in the eyes. In the short time I've known her, I haven't seen this look on her face. She looks... scared. I buried our boy here, she says to Lobo. I won't bury you too. You won't have to, he says, swallowing his words. (laughs) You used to be a better liar. She finishes bandaging Lobo and ties it off. He pushes himself up and sits against the cabin wall. Emma? Nico calls from outside. It's not too late. I beg you to surrender. Lobo's eyes tell me the fight is over. Not on your life, I say. You're being foolish, cub. He wheezes. I've had a lot of foolish teachers. Cass manages to laugh. Straining, Lobo drags himself to his feet. The three of us share one last moment of quiet before the end. Together, we open the door and limp outside to face Nico and Cloak and the gunslingers. The night's grown long, and the moon's completed its arc, dipping toward the mountains at our backs. This hour before dawn is cold, pitched, and colorless. Nico and Cloak stand side by side with what's left of their posse behind them. Less than I thought. Five gunslingers, standing astride their machine gun, pointed meaningfully toward us. Nico reaches out his hand. Come with me, Emma. It's over. No. I'm a bullet catcher, like Lobo and Cass. I throw Nico's gun on the ground. Cloak draws his pistol and progresses down the muddy beach, holding one of his hands between the buttons of his jacket in a makeshift sling. Blood trickles from his arm, where I shot him. Cloak hits Lobo in the face with his gun, dropping him to his knees. Cass starts to make a move, but Cloak points the gun at her and she freezes. Then he grabs me by the hair and drags me across the clearing, dumping me at Nico's feet. I hear the click of the hammer pulling back, and a moment later the barrel of Cloak's gun presses against the back of my head. My heart pounds. You asked for it. Here it is, Cloak says. A bullet captures death. The sound of the blast runs through me like a knife. Cloak's gun drops to the ground beside me. I look up to see Cloak staring at the bullet hole in his chest. Nico stands with his gun outstretched before him. Seizing the moment of confusion, Cass grabs the gun I'd thrown away and sends five bullets into the shocked gunslingers by the machine gun. They hit the ground, dead. Nico looks at the gun in his hand, like he doesn't know how it got there. He looks at Cloak, who stares back at him, his mouth agape as if to scream, but no sound comes out. And suddenly, it's as if Nico realizes what he's done. He throws down the gun, rushes to Cloak's side, and catches him as his legs go out from under him. <laughs> Nico. Cloak squeezes from his shocked, airless lungs. Niko falls to his knees, cradling Cloak in his arms. Tears stream down his cheeks and spill onto Cloak's face and shirt. Cloak's lips are colorless and trembling. Nico holds him tightly to his body, grasping, clutching at his clothes that slip through his fingers with Cloak's weight. Nico touches his forehead to Cloak's. His lips move quickly, whispering something too softly for me to hear. He wipes the dirt and sweat from Cloak's face with his shirt sleeve, and suddenly... Almost unexpectedly, Cloak goes limp in his arms. Nico holds the back of Cloak's head in his hand, like a newborn baby, squeezing the dark strands of hair between his fingers. You killed him, Nico says as he gently closes Cloak's eyes. What? That's what I'll tell them when I get back to Las Pistolas. I'll tell them you killed him. And what about you? What'll happen to you? He swallows. It doesn't matter. Nico gets to his feet, cradling Cloak in his arms. I'm sorry, Emma. I'm sorry for what I did to you. For what I didn't do for you. I'm sorry I didn't turn out to be the man you hoped I'd be. Nico. He shakes his head. No more talking. Not now. But someday, someday, maybe, he turns and disappears into the woods. I could call to him. I could try one last time to make things right, but I don't have the words. I look at my palm and trace the circle of the bullet-catching scar. I turn my hand over and trace the circle of the gunslinger tattoo. I'm too tired to think much but I hope it's not the last time I see my brother. Minutes later, a dark horse crests the edge of the dunes and disappears, lost against the morning sun. And no sooner does he depart than the winds pick up and the sandstorm closes like a curtain over the oasis. Lobo puts his hand on my shoulder and squeezes. I turn and bury my head in his chest, and he holds me. All around us, The oasis eases out of the violence of the night before. The sun climbs higher over the horizon. The birds chirp softly, exchanging songs of the bullet catchers and gunslingers once more. Epilogue It's months until we are all well enough to ride. Cass's leg still barks from the bullet she took, and Lobo has a whole new set of scars. I'm starting to get used to having nine fingers, but I still sometimes wake in the night with my hand on fire like Cloak is cutting my finger off all over again. Lobo calls it a phantom pain. As for Cloak, we buried him beneath one of the trees in Cass's oasis but we didn't bother marking it. Some people are worth remembering. Others are better forgotten. The Southland hasn't changed all that much in the month since I last saw it. It's still hot, still mostly desert, still chock full of tumbleweeds and cacti and lizards that stick their tongues out like they're telling jokes about you. We ride from town to town. Some have water, some have none. But we don't run into any gunslingers, at least none with the bravado to announce it to the world. News of what happened at Las Pistolas and of Cloak's death has carried fast. All those townsfolk who were ready to sell their souls to the gunslingers suddenly swear them off, like there isn't any amount of money or water in the world that could make them side with them. And then we ride to Table Rock. When I see the familiar plateau rising out of the desert my spirit rises with it. We take the switchback up the side, under the waterfall, and finally, we crest the summit. When we ride through town, it's like a foreign place. The streets are filled with people. Kids play on the boardwalks. The storefronts are freshly painted. Hey! A girl calls to us and comes running out of one of the storefronts to meet us. She looks familiar. You're back she says and when I don't say anything she says I don't think I ever thanked you properly for what you did for me what I did I say for saving me she says and then I recognize her she's the girl from the saloon she looks so different so happy it was nothing I tell her even though seeing her like this makes me want to climb down from my horse and hug her Maybe for you, she says. I bet you go saving people every day. I don't know quite what to say. It's the first time anyone's ever thanked me for saving their life. I look at Lobo and Cass, but they just smile and leave me hanging out to dry. Come on, the girl says. There's one last thing I want to show you. She leads us away from the town center. Here, a few rows of houses, still in the midst of repairs from the havoc the gunslingers caused, stand among fields of wheat and fruit trees. Out front of one of these houses, enclosed in a white picket fence with a big tree in the front yard and a swing tied to one of the branches, we dismount. Cass and Lobo stick by the horses outside the gate, while the girl leads me up the front path to the steps of a porch. She tells me to wait and disappears inside. When she returns, she's holding a young boy by the hand. It's six. I thought he might want to see you before you leave, she says. You don't seem the type that's likely to settle down in a place like this. How did you get here? I ask, in complete shock. Bullet brought us back, he says. After the factory burned down, he had all of us kids brought back. My mouth feels suddenly dry. I swallow and say, That's good. That's very good. Wait, the girl says. Where's your friend, the older lady? I must grimace because the girl looks at her feet and says, I'm sorry, she was a hero to me. To me too, I tell her. We ride out of Table Rock a few days later. The girl was right. There was a time in my life when I could have settled in a place like that, but not anymore. I've seen and done too much, and I know that town life isn't for me. There are rumors about Nico. We hear them in nearly every town we visit, that the gunslinger think he's a traitor, a bullet catcher spy, that he was colluding with Lobo and me the whole time that he's going to be put on trial, or worse. So, though it's dangerous to go into Las Pistolas, we go all the same. We find a good spot outside of town where the dunes give us plenty of cover. We settle in and wait, passing the binoculars back and forth between us. The fires swept through most of the industrial part of town. It doesn't seem like they've begun to rebuild. And Lobo was right. Many of the people, townsfolk and gunslingers alike, have left. The sprawling town seems empty for its largeness. Parked in front of Nico's big building is a line of fancy motorized buggies. "'Northlanders,' Lobo says. "'What do you think they're doing down here?' I say. "'Nothing good,' says Cass. "'We wait for hours.' It's near the end of day, with the light fading, when Lobo pushes the binoculars into my hands and says, Look. Through the binoculars, I watch Nico leaving his building. He's surrounded by people in fancy clothes, the like of which I've never seen before. And by the way he's being marched to the carriages, I'd say he looks like a prisoner. One of the Northlanders opens the carriage door, Nico takes a look around at what's left of Las Pistolas and climbs inside. Where are they taking him? The Northlands, says Lobo. He's in trouble, I say. So what? says Cass. So he's my brother. And if he's in trouble, I'm going to rescue him. The motorized buggies cough to life and drive out of town, heading north through the desert. A trail of dust swirls in their wake. The sun hangs low in the west, and the coolness of evening is approaching. Nico once promised me he'd someday show me the Northlands. He wasn't wrong.
0: Whew, what a ride, right? An epic showdown worthy of this show's name. But you remember those two more seasons I mentioned before, right? There is a lot more to Emma's story, so make sure you check out Bullet Catcher Seasons 2 and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts. There's also more to come here on Epic. I won't give anything away, but get ready to leave the desert behind for something a little more
1: virtual. I'll see you there. You are listening to Epic, Bullet Catcher. Created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. is written by Joaquin Lowe produced by Lydia Shama and executive produced by Julian Yap and Molly Barton performed by Inez del Castillo audio produced directed and designed by Amanda Rose Smith additional editing by Corey Barton original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi with performances by Justin Morel and Josh Deutsch cover art by Christine Barcelona Epic is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Haley Wagreich. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Latshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Faith McQuinn. Audio editing and original theme by Sam Bogala. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Epic by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.